Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. I'm, I'm excited for this, uh, you know, Christmas is like, if you've ever been a preacher, like Christmas and Easter, they come around every year, and every year it's like, well, here we go again. What am I going to say this time? And in fact, uh, I was just uh, some fresh inspiration. Like, I mean, it is, it is one thing to approach the holidays and go, well, here we go again, and it's quite another to say, Jesus has come. Like, Jesus has come for you. He's come for me. Now, that's amazing news. That's really, really good news. And this morning, as we kick off this holiday season, as we, as we dive into this first message of the Christmas season, uh, the, the title of the series is, uh, is Christmas. Christmas. It's all good. It's all good. And this morning, I'm going to talk to you about what is better than true. Better than true. I wonder, uh, well, let me just also not miss this moment to say those of you that had a hand in decorating uh, around here for Christmas, like kudos to you. It's amazing. And you've created a space that is just really, really beautiful. So thank you. <clears throat> How many Christmases have you celebrated? What is this? How many Christmases have you celebrated? How do you feel about it? I wonder what your experience has been like. Is it a is it a Santa Claus holiday? Or maybe it's a Ricky Bobby Talladega Nights kind of Christmas to a dear eight pound, you know, six ounce little infant baby Jesus kind of thing. Maybe that's the kind of holiday you've experienced. Or maybe Christmas is your favorite because you've got great memories. You've always had a great tree. You've always had lots of presents. And the celebration centered around God coming to earth as the Christ child. At least that's how you may remember it. The truth is, great memories are one thing. But according to Scripture, the arrival of Jesus was announced as good news from the outset. But most of us know that somewhere along the way, the news was perverted. People began to wonder, what's so good about this whole deal? It comes around every year. What is so good about this? What does it even mean for me today? In the era of deconstruction, it becomes even more blatantly obvious because, you know, somehow God's uh, somehow my life hasn't panned out the way I expected. And somehow I've decided that now this is not good news anymore. But what I want to suggest to us this morning is that maybe we have the wrong version. Maybe we are listening to and living into the wrong version of this good news. For some, there's a real resistance to the news of Jesus. Frankly, there's a lot of resistance to Christianity. And maybe it revolves around some of these questions. Maybe the question you're asking this morning, is it true? Is it true? For many of, for many of us, at some point in our lives, we may say, the it in that, in that question, it, it, is it true? The it is the Bible. The Bible, is the Bible true? And we don't have time to get into all of that this morning. But what I would suggest to you is that the Bible didn't create Christianity. Christianity created the Bible. And there were thousands and thousands and thousands of, of believers. 
in Jesus and in Christianity before the Bible ever made its way to print. Another question you might have is, is it good? Is following Jesus really good? Is Christianity good for society? Is it good for me? Is it maybe even dangerous or harmful? Is it really good news for all people? See, when we hear good news, or when we hear news that's not good, we hope it's not true. Like, Netflix is doubling the price of their subscription. Like, we hope that's not true. And we none of us ever hope that Amazon goes back to just selling books, right? Those would not be, uh, that would not be good news. We wouldn't look at that fondly. When we hear good news, though, we lean in, don't we? Doesn't matter if it's true or not. If we perceive it to be good news, we lean in. If someone said to you that, that um, processed sugar actually increases your likelihood for a long life, like processed sugar increases the life expectancy for us, that's amazing. Frosted flakes and sugar smacks is like, that's my jam. I mean, it used to be. It used to be. Now it's just sweet Eliza's donuts. There you go. That's right. Even those come and go, so they don't last forever. The fact that we hope something is true doesn't make it so. The fact that we hope something is true doesn't make it true. But if we want good news, and if that's what we all desire, why doesn't everybody lean in? Like, why doesn't everybody sit up? For some of us, our experience, and, and maybe many of us, have caused us, our experiences have caused us to doubt has caused us to walk away because the church is made up of people that we bump into. We experience them at school. They might not treat us very well. We bump into people in business. And sometimes people in business make shady deals. They don't do the deal the way they said they were going to do them. And they proclaim the name of Jesus. We bump into people, don't we, who... Don't live this out. And this is the painful truth about the impact of people that wear the badge but don't actually carry the authority. But if news is perceived to be good, we lean in because we want it to be true, whether it is or isn't. We want it to be. And because of that desire, our interest is piqued and we want to know more. See, this is what happened when the news of Jesus recorded in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's called the Gospels because the Gospel really means just good news. But how good is this? How good is it? Well, originally at the beginning, this was the best news ever. It was compelling, it was new, and if true meant that the human experience would, if this was true, the human experience would never have to be what it had been up to that point in history. So from the very beginning, even, even if you've walked away, or you're thinking about walking away, or your hand's on the doorknob, this is amazing, because from the very beginning in the first century, at the epicenter of the action, when this whole idea first touched down on planet Earth and intersected with us human beings, it was considered good news of great joy for all people, not just for some people, but for all people. The writer, Dr. Luke, writes in chapter 16 of his gospel. He says, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John See, the law and the prophets, that's what they were called long before it was called the Old Testament. And once the law and the prophets came, 
They were helpful and good for the Hebrew people, but they were not good news for all the people. But since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. Theologians don't particularly know what exactly it means when scripture says they're forcing their way into it. But I can tell you that when there's good news, we don't sit around on the outside. We don't just try to avoid that topic. We don't just kind of watch it as it goes by, but we lean in and we force our way into those circumstances, don't we? When something is good, we want to be part of it. See, the message of Jesus would be good news. It would, be, it would spark joy for all people, the Jews, the Gentiles, the Romans, the Samaritans, the anybody who's ever lived. This message was so good, it would be great news of great joy for who? All people. See, the angels were the first ones to announce this good news to the shepherds. We know this story. But it wasn't until Jesus stepped into the Jordan River, remember, in six, verse 16, from the time of John, that, that's, that's when Jesus, people actually experienced how good the good news was. But how good? How good was this news? So we go to Luke chapter 1, and the very first words that Luke writes are these. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. What is many? When you think of the word many, what is it? Well, it depends on if you have many children, that would be a different number. If you have many bowls of cereal in your lifetime, that would be quite another number. What does the word, word, word many mean? How many uh, would have sat down to write the account of Jesus? Well, only four survived, but many accounts, we don't know how many, but only four accounts survived in all of antiquity. And you know why? Why were many people writing this story? Because in the first century in the land of Judea, something significant, something really, really good happened. Now, I don't know what your version of Christianity is, but the original version was good. It was all good. It was so good that people wanted it to, wanted it to be true before they even were convinced it was true. When you see something good, you want it to be true. Whether or not it's true, you still want it to be true. In verse 2 of Luke 1, they used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, Dr. Luke says, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Now, we don't know who this guy Theophilus was, but our best guess is that he was a wealthy, curious uh, Christian, probably, and that he'd heard these teachings of Jesus and had somewhere along the line had become a follower. Now, maybe he knew somebody who had seen the resurrected Christ, but it seems he was all in and he wanted to know the story from the beginning all the way to the end. And so, hey, Luke, use your skills, do your thing, investigate and put together an orderly account of this life of Jesus. But listen to what Luke says next. He says, I'm doing this so that you can know that this good news is true. I want you to have confidence in what you have been taught. How true, how good. Look, John announced it. John announced it Jesus as Jesus stepped into the Jordan to be baptized. Remember, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the what? The sin of the world. Forgiveness of sins was announced way ahead of time. It hadn't happened yet. Jesus had not forgiven sins yet. 
Now you could be forgiven by asking, not working for it, not sacrificing for it. Forgiveness was just right there in front of us for the asking. It was better than true. This news was just better than true. It was brand new news. It was disturbing news. And it made the whole entire temple system in Jerusalem, suddenly it seemed antiquated. Suddenly there was no need for all the things that people had been giving their lives for, for the things that people had built their lives around, the entirety of their lives around this temple system. Luke tells the story of Jesus teaching at someone's house. And this all came front and center really fast. He was teaching at somebody's house. And of course, he had crowds of people with him all the time. Tons of people hanging out from the doors. I imagine people standing at the windows, looking in, straining to try to hear what Jesus was teaching. And you remember this story because all of a sudden, uh, as they were listening, they were, they were hearing these words. They were hearing this new news, these, this good news from the words of, from the lips of Jesus. And people wanted to believe that he was who he claimed to be. And people wanted to believe that God was the way that Jesus was presenting God to be. But he's teaching and, and all of a sudden, like, it's like uh, the mortar starts falling off of the ceiling. You imagine the homeowner? Hey, I've just invited all these people and all of a sudden something's happening. And as Jesus continues to teach, more things start falling from the ceiling. And eventually this, the, 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 the roof opens up. And this hammock thing comes down from the ceiling and drops down in front of Jesus. And inside is a man, a paralyzed man. A paralyzed man whose friends have faith that Jesus is actually who he claims to be. And Jesus actually has the potential and the power to bring about healing for their friends. Now the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you know, they're standing, they're listening to Jesus. They're hearing what he has to say, this strange rabbi, because he's teaching things no one has ever taught before. And he's making promises about God that are in conflict of the way that they viewed God and the way that they had taught that God really was. But as this man drops down in front of him, Jesus looks at him and I imagine, just like when you and I are paralyzed in some form or fashion, when we're paralyzed in sin, when we don't know how to step forward because it's the past is calling and it's actually informing my now, when we get into that situation, we get paralyzed, don't we? And I imagine when we come to Jesus, he does the same thing as he did to this young man coming down in front of him, physically paralyzed. And I believe he smiled at him. I believe he smiled at him and he looked him in the eyes and he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. This guy hadn't asked. I don't think this guy knew he should ask for forgiveness for his sins. Jesus looked at him offered him forgiveness, extended forgiveness to him, not because he had done something, but because he came into the presence of Jesus, he was there. His friends, and scripture says, Jesus saw their faith. I don't know if it means, well, it's not his faith that he saw, not just his faith. I think it was a, cum- a culmination This morning, there was a whole bunch of expressions of faith happening in this space. Sometimes you and I 
It is incumbent upon us that we live into that faith, that we have the faith that someone else needs so that we can come alongside, strengthen them. Because we all come in here sometimes pretty weak vessels. But when we leave, I hope we've been strengthened. I hope we're better people. I hope we've got a new perspective on what God can do in our lives. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they had no issue. And we have no issue Nobody has issues with fun stories and parables that nobody can understand until it comes and starts speaking to us directly, requires us to make some changes. You can't forgive sin. Only God has the power to forgive sin. That's what they said. To which Jesus said, that's true, but who can heal a paralyzed man other than God? but we have a building and we have a system. What are you doing? You're speaking for God in a way we've never heard before. But Jesus did. And he says to me and you and to his audience, and, and Luke records it this way. He says, for all generations, he punctuates his authority. In Luke 5, 24, he says, but I want you to know that the son of man has authority to forgive sin. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. awestruck. That's what they are. And that's what we ought to be as we hear this story again this morning. Simply awestruck at the work of God. It was such good news. But how good was this good news? It was so good that it's important we have a proper perspective on just what Jesus said about sin. See, you and I, we've been dishonored and we have dishonored others. We've fallen short of our own standards, let alone the standards of God. But what was Jesus really saying to us and what is he really saying to this man? I believe he's saying, I have the power and authority to forgive all the ways you are misaligned with God. I believe that he was saying to you and I, I have all the power and authority to forgive your sin. I forgive it. And it means that anybody, no matter what, can take a step and begin to follow Jesus. From wherever we are, we can start. This was unheard of. This was unbelievably good news. The idea that whatever our situation, whatever our place in life, it doesn't matter, and it didn't matter. We know this because Luke records another encounter that happened with Jesus and his guys when they came up to, um, they thought it was a highway. We wouldn't look at it as a highway now, but it was an intersection that they would have, that it would have walked up to. And there was a toll booth of sorts there. And instead of a, like a plastic arm that comes down, it was a Roman spear that came down in the form of taxation. Levi was sitting there at the poll booth, at the toll booth, requiring the taxes that were due. Levi was not loved by very many people. Levi was a tax collector. He was Jewish, working for the Roman authority. He had no friends as a Jew. He was considered unclean. He was on the outskirts of Jewish society. He was reviled and hated by his own people. Yeah, this was Levi. This was Levi. In Luke 5, 27, it's, it records this. Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Now, I can read that scripture to you this morning. You can read it for yourself. And we can think of it in a very vanilla sort of way. What we miss in an initial reading of this is the fact that Levi probably looked at him and said, you're a rabbi. 
I mean, I see the robe, I see the followers. Like, it's not like Jesus walked up to him in the grocery store and didn't know anything about him. He was sitting at the toll booth, collecting taxes for the enemy. Apparently, Jesus didn't care. He knew what kind of person he was, the kind of things he'd done. And I imagine Levi looked at him and said, you still want me to follow you? You really want me to follow you? Okay, where are we going? We're going to your house. Can you imagine the other followers behind Jesus saying, what are you talking about? If we go to his house, we'll be unclean. We'll never get into the temple. This is not good. We don't want to be guilty by association. Let's not do this. But they went to his house. The Pharisees went, but they kind of stayed out in the cul-de-sac. They just sent word in. Hey, Jesus, you say you're God, but you're not behaving like you're supposed to. And Jesus sends word back and says, I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners to repentance. What? Again, this is incredible news. Called to repentance. Like you and I, we don't, we don't really like that word. There's some sort of stigma, shameful stigma related to repentance. Somebody walks up front and repents for something, or we assume that that's what they're walking up front for, and we think, well, I wonder what he did wrong. Hmm. This isn't the intent of that word. The intent of the word repentance is freedom. It is freedom. It is life. It is living into all that God has called us to be. That's what Jesus is bringing as great, great news. Jesus says to Levi and he says to us, I've come to call you. I've come to call you to see the entire world in a different way, to change your thinking about, about yourselves, to change your thinking about the people around you, to change your thinking about everything, and to see everything in a way that allows you to connect with your heavenly Father and to change your mind from the inside out. Change your life from the inside out. That's really good news, isn't it? Like, that's really, really good news because here's what I know about you. You've tried to bring about change in your life and it's virtually impossible because I'm like you. I've tried to bring about change in my life and it's virtually impossible. But this was the invitation of Jesus to save us. And this is why people leaned in because they hoped that there was something behind these words. It was, it was good because Jesus' followers not, were not only invited to be good, but to do good. But in the usual way, not in the usual way, because everybody does good at some, time, at some point. Like doing good isn't that all that big a deal because we all have the capacity to do good. So he's calling us to an unusual way to do good. Here's what he said. If you're gonna follow me, if you're gonna be like me, if you're gonna be someone that lives their lives in a way that embraces these kingdom values, because I've come to introduce the kingdom of God to earth. It's a, it's a brand new kind of kingdom. It's not a geographical kingdom. It's a kingdom of conscience. It's a kingdom of the heart, of the soul. It's a kingdom of the spirit. And here's how it operates. If you want to live into this kingdom, here's what's required. And I'll tell you the answer when you stand right now. Here's what's required. 
Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, are you listening? If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? You'll be average, and that's pretty unremarkable. Does anyone in the house want to be average? No, we all want to be remarkable followers of Jesus. What credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. See, there's nothing new here. That kind of, or that brand of good had been around since the very beginning. But love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the grateful and wicked, ungrateful and wicked. Luke just said, God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. This is confusing. And the reason that it's confusing is because this is not how most Christians act. Why is this? Because many of us have decided we're going to believe something rather than follow Jesus. We're going to believe the Gospels, but we're actually not going to follow Jesus. Fellowship makes all the difference. When we follow, we become like the one we follow. We push back against our human nature and take on the nature of God. And then we can be like Luke tells us in Luke 6.36, be merciful just as our Father is merciful. See, if you didn't experience this growing up, if you were introduced to a different kind of gospel, if you had a different version, I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for that. Because the gospel is incredibly good news. Today, the angel said in Luke 2.11, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, which means God is addressing our basic fundamental need. You and I, we need a savior. Your sins may be different than mine and mine may be different than yours, but Jesus levels the playing field. And I have good news of great joy for all people. He says, I'm, I'm not sending five commandments rather than 10. I'm sending you a savior. He's been born to you. He was born to show us a different way. The way that says it is better to serve than be served. The way that says I will lay down my life for the good of others. He did that, gave his life as a ransom for many. There's that word again, many, many, many. And he invites us to follow this new way of living. So if you don't buy it because it never sounded good, maybe you never heard the original version. Maybe you grew up with the wrong one and maybe somebody misused it. And if that's the case, again, I'm really sorry because you need to know that the people who were closest to Jesus were convinced that they met good in a body because they had seen God in a body. And so they documented the whole story because they were convinced that this is not a, just a story. This was not a life that was lived for a single generation, but it was lived for every generation that followed. Not for one group of people, but for all people, all nations, every generation. And it was, in fact, good news of great joy for everybody. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're just so grateful this morning that this news is for us today, that it requires us to, to do some things in our lives, to take some things really seriously if we're going to actually follow the way of Jesus. And so this morning, God, we again pray that uh, your spirit would just continue to move us, that this word does not return void. That's, that's what your word tells us. 
That when we speak the name of Jesus, there is power in the name of Jesus and action happens because of that word. So let your word take root. Let it be multiplied. Let us be the people that represent you in ways that uh, can be classified as really good news. Good people doing great work because we take the words of Jesus seriously to love our enemies. When we are mistreated, we don't mistreat back, but we go the extra mile and we love despite the mistreatment. So God, would you just give us courage where we need it? If our hearts and lives are misaligned with your purposes, if we are living in sin, call us out of that. Well, actually, you've already called us out of it. Help us respond in the way that you, you, that you desire for us to respond. Help us to be people that are repenting. A repentant people is a people that is living into freedom. If we want the joy of this season, God, let it first start inside of us and let it go forth from this place and from these people. We're incredibly grateful for your presence and your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family. 